Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. This morning I want to start off with a scripture out of uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. It says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on what is on not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. There's a group of scientists that's been working endlessly. A time just for years and years and years to make this great telescope. I don't even know if it's called a telescope, but to be able to see as far out into space as they can. So the scientists at Jet Propulsion, I knew I'd struggle with that word. Propulsion, yes, yeah, that word. Laboratory created the world's most sensitive telescope. It's so sensitive that it can, if an astronaut standing on the moon, 250,000 miles away, that you could tell if that astronaut is smiling. And if he wiggles his pinky, they could see it. Such an instrument requires a vacuum-sealed chamber and the ability to focus within one-tenth of a hydrogen atom. Anybody got that size in mind? In plain terms, that's about one millionth of the width of the thickest human hair. The purpose of this amazing telescope is to search for the telltale movements of Earth-sized planets that might be orbiting stars in distant galaxies. Far, far away. All tens of light years away, but uh, the benefits of fine-tuning something like that are limitless and include the possibility of identifying distant planets, even ones that might sustain life. Whether you're trying to find a planet that's trillions of miles from Earth or simply trying to read a road sign, the benefit of our focus are obvious. You might put on a pair of glasses to help you read the morning news. I recently got my first pair of glasses and I've recently broke them. That's why I got my Dollar Tree readers on this morning. It is so important to be able to focus and see what we're doing, to make it things clear to us. And spiritually, it's the same thing. We need to get into focus. When Paul wrote his letter to Corinth, he took a moment to reflect on his own life and ministry. It had been a difficult journey, to say the least. Paul had battled unbelievers who fought the gospel message. Health and aging challenges, great persecution, and the constant 
wear and tear on him left him wasting away. And he tells us in this chapter about each one of those. At the very beginning of chapter 4 and near the end of it, Paul writes, We do not lose heart, but what a battle it had been not to lose heart. The only way Paul had managed to keep fighting was to keep his focus where it should be. He says, therefore, do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away. And we saw that with Paul. Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So fix your eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Do you need a little fine-tuning on your focus? I know I do, often. We need to follow the example of Paul, the most focused man the first generation of Christians ever knew. And to, there's a book called The Pursuit of Extreme Happiness by Elaine Zimmerman. She writes about Ron Bailey and how he made uh, the sports headlines in 2005 when he became the first amateur American to enter the Dakar Rally, the longest, most dangerous off-road race in the world. At 54, Bailey had to talk his way into the race. He spent $300,000 for his custom-built car. Anybody ready to do that? And he went up against 1,400 other competitors for the 7,000-mile race. Among the obstacles were sandstorms in the Sahara Desert, civil unrest, bandits, and landmines. In 2005, only half of those who entered the race finished it, and five of those people had died, including two professional racers. Though he trained hard for the race, Bailey and his co-driver immediately ran into a sandstorm and shortly thereafter ran out of gas. Something important for a race. For five days, they lived on one day's worth of water and a single sack lunch. Finally, someone arrived with some gas and he was on his way. With a missed checkpoint, he was disqualified from the race but he finished the course anyway. At the end of the experience, Bailey wasn't talking so much about the checkpoint that he had missed as the finish line he had misinterpreted. He says, I know now that the Dakar is not a race, he said, it is the test of a man's character. If you're racing toward the Dakar 7,000-mile endurance test, losing focus on the correct finish line could cost you your life. But losing focus on the finish line of your life's purpose could be fatal to your spiritual health, too. Paul's eyes were on eternal glory. Even as he tackled several worthy goals, 
in his present life, he was starting churches. He was spreading messages about the gospel. He was helping um, our first organized theology for the Christian faith. But all of it, he said, was based on his finish line, on eternity. We fix our eyes on not on what is seen, but of what is unseen, he wrote. Perhaps you've been to a funeral lately, unfortunately, or perhaps there's one coming up in the next few days. Notice this about a cemetery in particular. Everything you see is temporary. The trees that have been there for decades, even, the hundred, even hundreds of years, but no tree lasts forever. The buildings and the streets appear rock solid, but no roads or buildings have uh, lasted forever. Ask Del Taco. It's a sad thing, I know. I don't know how many of you ate there, but they will rebuild, I've been told. And people, the cemetery itself puts an exclamation point on the fragile nature of life. But in that same environment, there is ample evidence of the unseen for the grief-stricken. God may be very present to those who believe in him, but he is, of course, unseen. Heaven is unseen, and so is hell. Eternity isn't visible, and most certainly the person that you have loved greatly is unseen. The body looks familiar, maybe the twinkle in the eye, the laughter. The very spirit of the person you loved is very much not there. And yet, all that is unseen in the cemetery setting. It's actually the unseen is what lasts forever. This was written by a missionary who went to Iraq. And she was killed along with some other missionaries on March 15, 2004. She writes to her pastors. Dear Pastor Phil and Roger, you should only be opening this letter in the event of my death. When God calls, there is no regrets. I tried to share my heart with you as much as possible, my heart for the nations. I wasn't called to a place. I was called to him. To obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. His glory, my reward. His glory, my reward. One of the most important things to remember right now is to preserve the work. I'm writing this as if I'm still working with my people group. I thank you all so much for your prayers and support. Surely your reward in heaven will be great. Thank you for investing in my life and spiritual well-being. Keep sending missionaries out. Keep raising up fine young pastors. In regards to any service, keep it small and simple. And yes, simply just preach the gospel. Be bold and preach the life-saving, life-changing, forever eternal gospel.
Give glory and honor to God our Father. And she includes a poem that says, The Missionary Heart. Care more than some think wise. Risk more than some think is safe. Dream more than some think is practical. Expect more than some think is possible. She says, I was called not to conform uh, Excuse me. I was called not to comfort, comfort, but to success and obedience. There is no joy outside of knowing Jesus and serving him. I love you too and my church. In his care, Karen. I myself have had a heart for missions personally and seen so many catch the purpose for Christ by committing their life to missions. I served 26 years at a missions camp out on the coast, helping train young missionaries and seeing some of them commit to following Jesus Christ for their lifetime and know some of them on the mission field at this time. It's awesome to be able to see that and see that commitment, that they know that there's an eternal glory, that there's an unseen eternity, that they're encouraging people to head towards. So letting others know about Christ, whether they're here or across the oceans, we need to focus and share the gospel. Let others know who Jesus Christ is. It might start with shaking a hand out, handing out a hot dog, or encouraging somebody there. Whatever it takes, we need to reach out beyond ourselves, connect with people, and love people, and let them know that there is a God that loves them. And all of us, we know, have our imperfect nature in this life. Paul may have focused on the unseen, but the things that were dominating his calendar, it seemed, when he was writing this letter, uh, may have been hard on him. In verse 8, he says, he was hard-pressed on every side and perplexed. He was persecuted and struck down. He was wasting away. A good visual of this chapter, we have these treasures in jars of clay. Pottery is good for a season. It lasts for a while, but eventually... It breaks down. Paul would have known more than any how fragile pottery is and these vessels are and our bodies are. And once they're broken, there's not really a good way to repair them. Not if you're dealing with clay pots. Paul was saying that I have a one-shot chance of fulfilling my spiritual purpose before becoming cracked and broken and unusable. A point of application here, if you're waiting on the perfect job, the perfect spouse, the perfect team, the perfect church, or even the perfect commute to work, you're going to be waiting a long, long time. So many people seem so frustrated by the imperfections of their surroundings. 
simply because they haven't grasped the fact that life is going to be filled with imperfections. With distractions. And with everything that kind of gives us, wants to get us off track. A handful of people even have what they call short fuses. Kind of like live sticks of dynamite. Any moment, you never know when they're going to blow up. But I got something to fix that. A longer fuse. They're available. We give them away here freely. There's going to be days when the toast is burnt, when the traffic is jammed, and the employees get sick. There's going to be days when they get angry customers, demanding bosses, and golf balls that go out of bounds. That's just the way life works. David, because he was the greatest king of Israel's history, but if you look closely at the story, you'll see his core group was initially made up of people in distress, in debt, discontented, and there was about 400 of them. In 1 Samuel 22, verses 1 and 2, it says, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. How would you like to be your first group of work people there to train up? But if David had waited for more perfect individuals to form his leadership team, we'd have never heard of him. Instead, David worked with the imperfect team, helped them focus on their purpose, and became the greatest king in Israel's history. The person who can accept the imperfect nature of his life will be happier, healthier, and more productive. Focus is required, but so is a fine attitude right from the start. We need to look at the eyes of our Father. That's where we will find our comfort and our strength. If your church disappoints you, the Great Commission remains the same. Do not allow your focus to drop from the great command to the great complaints. If a friend or child or a spouse disappoints you, love will still remain the greatest attribute within your control. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 13 and read the love chapter. If, you plan, if your plan hits a snag along the way, your mission to stay the course, especially if you're confident that God has directed your path. When Paul was in prison, he heard reports that some who enjoyed freedom were preaching against him. Put yourself in that spot. You're preaching the gospel. You're walking around and letting everybody know. You're going on these missionary journeys. And you're telling people about Christ. And now you're in jail for doing that. And you get word that there's those preaching against you. 
They're still preaching the gospel, but they're preaching against you. What do you do? He stayed positive. And he said, well, at least they're still preaching the gospel. What kind of positive spin could you put on such a report if it was you? To discover that life isn't going to be perfect is to make the most important steps towards maturity and productivity. Beyond that step, however, is one that will take a lifetime to master. As we keep our focus on Christ every day, it's hard to do. There's so many distractions out there. So many great shows to watch, right? They've given us everything there is out there on Netflix and Amazon and Hulu and our cable. And they try to distract us so much to keep us from getting our focus. To discover that life isn't going to be perfect is to make one of the most important steps toward maturity and productivity. Inwardly, we are being renewed day by day if we stay to the scripture. It is important for Paul to know that the focusing of his faith was a daily process. It's critically important for us to realize that Paul had no intention of being saved day by day, but he's found out that it's so important to do. His salvation had been settled outside of Damascus Gate as soon as he saw and recognized Jesus. Ever since that day, he had been in the process of discipleship, growing, finding a way to grow. And I think we're all in that process now. Growing slowly and steadily, studying the scripture, his questions of more mature believers, he sought out other believers to ask questions of, and with his own experiences and sharing his own story. In this chapter alone, he mentions the work of renouncing secret and shameful ways, fighting deception and distortion, preaching for God's glory and not his own. So important. And becoming a light in his culture's darkness. In other writings, Paul confesses his ongoing battle with temptation, his loneliness, and his failing health. All things that can hit each one of us and remind us that those are going to come up. Life happens. Things happen. But if we can keep our focus on Jesus Christ and not let anything tear us down or take us away from where Christ wants us to be. For Paul, it was keeping his focus on the process on that day. Racing teams in the NASCAR circuit have precision-laced uh, pit crews that change tires, refuel, make little tweaks in 15 seconds. If they were going to try to rebuild an engine or something in that time, they'd lose the race. So we do the little things as we run the race to make little turns and changes. Piano turners don't come in and rebuild a piano 
if it doesn't sound right. They listen to the keys and they just tune it. Periodic updates on our computer won't recreate our hard drive. Instead, it adds little changes and hopefully fixes things to make it go faster. I don't know about you, it doesn't always work that way. And of course, a pilot doesn't attach new wings during a flight. Instead, course corrections, slowly and safely. In all cases, fine-tuning the details and focusing with the details deals with what is already the good news for someone dissatisfied with their faith. You don't have to rebuild your entire faith and say, oh, I'm throwing this out, or this church did it this way, or, or get saved again in order to keep your focus. We make tweaks. We search out people that are able to encourage us and lift us up and change our directions and give us hope. We're in a race. I know Paul's racing analogies happen a lot through what he talks about. In first, uh, Philippians 3, 13 and 14, and in 2 Timothy 4, 7, probably weren't, those all weren't included in, with pit crews. But perhaps a pit crew analogy works best for us to know that we need to get in there and make those fine-tuning things to happen for us. We're surrounded with a team right here to encourage and love on each other. Ours is the first generation, his, let me go back, I missed a line. He said, after all, you're surrounded by a team already to help you with your daily fine-tuning and the technology of our day means that we can faster look up things than any other generation before. When I first started ministry, I'm not even going to give you what year, a few years ago, when you went to write a sermon, you went to the library at the Christian uh, college, and you got into the library, and you looked up your resources, and you went through things, and you found illustrations of things. It took me at least 20 hours to write a sermon and to do all the research. Now, I'm not even going to tell you how long it took me to write this. Not 20 hours, but the research comes that much faster. I don't have to, i like, oh, I remember something. I type it in and it comes up on my screen. It's like, whoa. You need an illustration for that? Type in a search. Yeah, I mean, it's just instant practically. And you still got to make sure the resources and the things that you're using but everything is at your fingertips really quickly. And looking up Old Testament words in the Greek or Hebrew and finding the real meanings. It's nice to be able to have those capabilities. What happens if you don't give attention to your daily nature and your focus on God? We don't run right. You don't make the fine-tuning that needs to happen. 
And don't be ashamed about going to another Christian about asking for help. We need to do that. We need to learn how to confess our sins without thinking we're going to be judged. And then on the other end of it, as the Christian that hears those things needs to keep it to themselves. Because that's how we lose trust. Somebody shares something and you share it with somebody else and all of a sudden it's the church news. We got to keep it. You got to be that Christian brother or sister that can be told things and encourage people and love on people and know that's where it stays. If you want to do your best in the race set before you, the best effort is required and it's needed every day. No vacations. We each need to evaluate our own lives. Somebody else does it for you. Sometimes it's hard to hear. But we need to go in front of God ourselves. You're the one that's going to be standing there. And God wants to talk to you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to love on you. There's a famous halftime speech of all time when Newt, how do you say his name? I, I should have went to Google. Looked his Notre Dame football players in the eye and challenged them to win the game for George Gipp, a former player who had died of pneumonia. He said, none of you ever knew George Gipp, comes the speech of the All-American, the 1940 film. It was a long time before your time, but you all know the tradition uh, he is to Notre Dame. And the last thing he said to me, Rock, he said, sometime when the team is up against it and the brakes are beating the boys, go to them and let them know just to win one for the... That was a long time ago. Great speech, obviously, and thankfully the Notre Dame players won the game. I don't think we'd be talking about this right now if they'd lost. We need to fine-tune our focus. Keep our eyes on the Heavenly Father, because when we look in the eyes of our Heavenly Father, we know. Watch this little video that I found by a comedian, Michael Jr., it's amazing, and uh, we'll talk again in just a minute. Let's play the video. Yo, comedian Michael Jr. here. As you know, I just flat out enjoy doing comedy. But one of the things I love way more than that is being a dad. Not too long ago, I'm going through some video footage and I run into this video of my youngest daughter being born. 
Now, of course, I was there. I actually took the video, but I had never really experienced it from this perspective before. Now, look, we're in the hospital room. She's uh, sticky, and she's baby and all that stuff, and she's in the middle of crying. And then I speak up. I start talking to her, and watch how she responds when she hears my voice. Okay, Portland, look, I'm right here. It's okay, it's okay. I'm right here, I'm right here. We're doing just fine. It's okay, it's okay, I'm right here. Right here, yeah, it's okay. It's okay, baby, it's okay. That was pretty awesome. <laughs> so check it. A few minutes later, uh, the nurse starts working on her, puts her pamper on her, and uh, I'm not saying anything, and she actually starts to cry again. Then I speak up, she hears my voice, and stops crying, like again. But I want you to notice what else happens after I tell her that I love her. Portland, it's okay. It's okay. It's good. It's good. It's good. I'm right here. I'm right here. I am right here. I love you. I love you. I love you. Yeah, I'm right here. I'm right here. It's okay. It's okay. That's just phenomenal. <laughs> like, whoa. Here's the thing. We'll always have times where we're not as comfortable, probably even to the point of tears, where life is just heavy. The key thing to do in those moments is to be still and listen for the Father's voice. Because he is trying to talk to you. And I can tell you what he wants you to know is that he loves you. All you got to do is open your eyes. Happy Father's Day. Obviously a Father's Day video, but it's one that when I saw it, I thought, man, it's too often. We just don't open our eyes to see the Father. We get busy, we get in our own worlds, get doing our own things. One week turns to two, two turns to three, and I haven't opened my Bible. And it's a ways down the road. We need to focus. We need to get into it. We need to open our eyes and see the Father. He is there and he wants to connect with us, to love on us, to share his word with us, to be still and hear the Father's voice. God wants you to know he loves you. And yes, we all have things is going on in our lives. Troubles and hurts, wounds, things that get us upset. But focus. Please focus. God is calling you. Just got to listen. He is saying it again and again. I love you. I love you. God loves us. And wants our focus. Now are you willing to give it to God? Our music team's gonna join us up here. And we're gonna 
be able to sing some more songs to Christ and to be able to worship and praise together. But we want to just let you know if there's things, something going on in your life, something that you need to share, something that you uh, want us to know here, please share it with us. Write it on a green card or come up to me afterwards and we'll pray and uh, just connect with God. Or if you want to uh, find out how to join the church and to stay connected with us here and uh, let us, you know, let us help you out and encourage you with that as well. Let's just be able to, to be able to focus on God, to take that time to come and focus on him and give him the attention, not let the distractions happen, not take a vacation from God, but to be here and focus on him. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.